Hello lovely people, my name is Neha and welcome to Dropping Your Armor, where we listen to stories from thinkers, doers and dreamers in the hope of unlocking our infinite human potential. This is a spotlight episode, where the goal is to shine a light on certain topics together with an expert and explore it through many different lenses, from psychological to economic to business. And in this episode, we will speak about emotional agility, what it is, why it's important and how to develop the skill. We'll be speaking with Andrea Lungulescu, who's a hands-on people and organizational development consultant and coach with a passion for nurturing and championing human potential. She has a background in clinical psychology and cognitive behavioral psychotherapy with a specialization in schema therapy, coactive coaching, and compassion-focused therapy. Her knowledge about human emotions and behavior, combined with her many years of practical experience in organizations and her spot-on pop culture references, which, by the way, I enjoy the most, are what made this conversation both insightful and fun for me. I hope you enjoy it too. Good morning, Andrea. I'm very happy to have you on Dropping Your Armor in our second Spotlight episode. Thank you so much for joining. How are you doing? Good morning, Neha. Thank you for having me, first of all. And secondly, I'm doing fine. Monday morning, so (laughs) everything that is part of Monday morning. Yeah, I'm also feeling the Monday blues. But um, you know what? It's the perfect moment to talk about those blues because I hear we're going to have a conversation about emotional agility. And feeling the Monday blues, I guess, is part of that agility and recognition, right, that we need to have as people. So, yeah. yeah, let's let's really dive into it straight away. And let's start by talking about why it's important to even have a conversation about emotional agility. What, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I believe it's very important to have this type of conversations, especially right now when so many things are happening in the world. Uh, we just are emerging from the pandemic. Uh, there is this very complex social, social and political situation happening in the East between Russia and Ukraine. So all this uncertainty, all this complexity, of course, will cause a lot, will stir up actually a lot of emotions, will stir up a lot of feelings, sometimes overwhelming, sometimes paralyzing. And it's great to have that conversation, especially in this moment. Yeah, I fully agree. And I mean, we had this conversation before, right, that um, even in while all of this is happening in the world, you sometimes overwhelmed by your own emotional capacity right of how many emotions you can feel in a day and if you I guess don't know how to process that or even make sense of it it can be quite overwhelming right I've also found myself just being shut off and having like break days where I just I just don't want to interact with anyone or look at the news or do anything about it because it's just sometimes so overwhelming so I I guess yeah it is a very timely conversation and I think from my perspective Having had studied psychology, I I always felt like the conversation about emotion was somehow not the most exciting from an academic (laughs) point of view, right? Um, But also, like, I I think it's just in, in general the way we were raised, right? It's not something that we always talk about. I think our intellectual capacity is nurtured and stimulated quite a bit. Our emotional capacity, not so much. I do, however, see that change happening, right? I feel like with our generation and the generation to come, there's more of this conversation happening, which is great. And I, uh, I'm glad that I can have this conversation with you specifically because also of your background and um, yeah, the specific knowledge that you bring here. 
Yeah, so, exactly. And just to, to build on that, I also, so I studied, I did study psychology and clinical psychology. And back in the day, <laughs> we focused a lot on cognition, right? Because it was the most important part to, to develop as quick as possible and as much as possible your cognitive capacity when it comes to critical thinking, uh, strategic thinking, and so on and so forth. And now a lot of studies are emerging that actually also emotions and, and like cultivating that emotional agility and that emotional intelligence are actually as important or even more important sometimes, especially when we operate in this complex universe for us to develop. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to now know why it's so important to you. And specifically, I want you to tell the story that you told me about uh, your time in school and mm-hmm. why this topic resonates with you. Sure. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll gladly share with you. And at, at core, I think it's more a story about emotions, not necessarily emotional agility that appeared later in the year, years, over the years, actually, but it's more about emotion and the fact that I always had like this love-hate relationship with emotions in the sense that I was quite an emotional child. I like all children actually, like very normal development. And at the same time as I was feeling this energy and sometimes it was overwhelming or paralyzing or I was feeling very high, very happy. Unfortunately, due to a learning impediment, uh, I was not really able to articulate what was going on or to um, ask for clarification or just to communicate with with my peers, with my family, with with the people around me. So I, growing up, I think I managed to really start acquiring language at a late age, so around 11 or 12. So back in the day, the school systems uh, did not really like test children for dyslexia, but now the after me also studying about it as a psychologist and looking how much even the school system evolved, now it would have been dyslexia. So I would have needed extra help in order to understand the letters. You know, I was looking at the letters and I I did not understand what they were. And when you don't have that capacity to, to speak, you can't really connect and communicate with the people around you. And at the same time, as all children, you do feel the emotions. You feel Im- immediately, you feel when you enter the room, what, what is happening there, you know? What are the relations between people? Even though they were speaking, maybe they were feeling something else. So this, this felt to me as I was growing up as a puzzle. And I did understand at a certain level that words are important and mastering them is very important because, for example, when I heard you have to do this, this came with specific energy and that, that triggered in me specific emotions. And later I understood that when like you must do this comes actually as a directive, there is no perceived choice or control in the matter. And that is very different from when somebody would say you should do this. That comes with a freedom, that comes with choice, and that comes also with this invitation to self-reflect when it comes to the choice that you would make. And that also empowers you, gives you the freedom to decide for yourself, basically. So uh, this was like very fascinating for me. I did not have the tools to understand why it was fascinating, but it just was. And I, And then like looking back in hindsight, I realized that I 
organized my whole life in understanding the, these pieces, pieces of the puzzles and trying to, you know, to digest them, to find them, to digest them, and then see how they fit in the bigger picture. So, um, for example, I studied um, math and computer language in high school. So that organized my brain a lot, my, my mind actually a lot Mm -hmm. and gave me this beautiful metaphor that, you know, you have the interface of a web interface, for example, and then behind you have a lot of line, uh, code lines. So it's very important how you write those code lines in order to understand how the uh, interface will be. Um, and that, that for me kind of remained the metaphor of my life that, thoughts and emotions are all these code lines and you have to understand them. They have to be clean in order so cleanly written in order that the interface will be also understandable and and user uh, friendly. Let me put it like so. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where you started then, I guess, like you said, right. In, In hindsight, what you were trying to build all along was your understanding of that emotional granularity right or even like the vocabulary of how do you actually make sense of what you're feeling because as you said right as children as um, human beings we experience something before we can even articulate what we're experiencing right yes exactly exactly and I think all of us you know it's it's a very interesting world out there and we're all very motivated to explore it and depending on like these unique challenges that life face you with you develop specific skills specific capabilities and developing emotional granularity as a skill as a life skill is important from a very early age till till the moment till the last moment in our life yeah and I, and I know because we're both really excited and we want to like <laughs> nerd out about this, we skipped a step, but I do want to go back and um, check back. Okay. Before we start diving into emotional granularity, can you like break down what is an emotion and what is emotional granularity from your perspective? Mm-hmm. That is one of the most fascinating questions that one can ask. <laughs> what are what are emotions? Yeah. And then what is emotional uh, agility? And then what is actually emotional or how does emotional granularity uh, fit into all of this? So from from my experience, from my uh, from my studies, as I said, I studied cognitive and behavioral psycho- psychology and then clinical psychology. Uh, it's very difficult to find like one one definition to rule them all. So there are different models. There are a lot of um, neuroscientists which are doing a amazing uh, amazing work and research in this model in this uh, domain. So I would the let's say like from my perspective, <laughs> I would say that um, you know there uh, emotions. Um, are are part of us and they organize our mind and body and they have different components. Um, in the sense they have, there are like there is a physiological reaction which is triggered in our body. You know, maybe we feel that our blood is rushing, so we get like warm um, in our cheeks or red in our cheeks. There is also this. Uh, we we also tend to have this feeling. To uh, and tendency to act towards a goal, so they are also very linked to our motivation. So they activate our motivation. They activate us um, as individuals, our bodies, but also our energy inside of us. 
And of course, emotions also manage to direct our attention. We all know that this can go in both ways. When we're super emotional, we can have like this tunnel vision and focus only on something. Uh, or we can broaden our vision in order to understand what is happening, uh, you know, in our wider ecosystem. Um, and also what is, what also are emotions? Emotions also are the constructs, I would say, that organize our way of thinking, either from a top-down perspective in the sense that uh, we think some, we think a specific thought and that is linked to specific emotions. So if we think that, okay, today, uh, today the weather will be very nice and will be sunny and will be warm, then we're already happy and excited because this means that we could go for a walk or enjoy some sun with our loved ones. But th- they also have this bottom up approach in the sense that when we feel fatigued or like when we feel bored, then, you know, we have specific specific thoughts which can be uh, constructive in the sense like ah I'm, I'm feeling bored I should find something interesting to do and then we activate ourselves or we can think the other thing like ah I'm bored so there is actually nothing to do and Netflix and chill it is for the whole day yeah and, and I love that point that you bring because and I want to stress that one because I, I feel like so much of uh, early philosophy even even like you know initially when I started studying psychology, so much of the effort was going into looking at the rational and the emotional side of the brain, right? Like that differentiation between what is rational and what is emotional. And what you're saying is that there is, it's not, it's not a differentiation really, right? It's, it's, I guess maybe it's sometimes useful to understand what is a thought, what's an emotion, but the point is that they're very much in sync, right? Your thoughts can influence the way you feel and how you feel might influence uh, your thoughts and your general narrative about your life so it's it's bi-directional it's totally connected even in parts of the brain right if you if you look at um how the brain works that if you if you uh make a lesion and i was reading about this last night it's a really brilliant book called behave by robert sapolsky um if you make a lesion in the part of the brain that uh, processes uh, emotions uh it does have an impact on your cognition and your you know rational thought and vice versa so um, both of those things are very much connected and just, yeah, wanted to stress that point there. Exactly. And I think this is the, one of the most important key takeaways when it comes to our discussion that, yes, the old paradigm is a little bit separating them artificially. We have our thoughts and then we have our emotions. When the truth of the matter is that they're so intertwined and interdependent that it's important to understand and give space for both of them, to explore both of them. And for example, there is a, a very famous neuroscientist. She She's called Lisa Feldman Barrett. And she is a professor of psychology at the North Stream University. And she focuses exactly on the affective science. So this is the science of emotions. And she, uh, she brought this theory uh, or she explored and demonstrated this theory that emotions are not fixed. They are constructed. And they have this sensation component, a situational component, and they also have a memory component and a train of thought component. So thought, thoughts influence our emotion. But the thing is that the memory component actually in, has embedded in it already the emotions that appeared in a specific moment. So I would say it's the type of 
like to bring a little bit of cultural reference, it's inception at the end of the day when it's between <laughs> emotions and thoughts. They are all included and they all generate more. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for that uh, definition of emotions. Let's actually then dive into your understanding of emotional agility and also emotional granularity since we already touched upon those. Mm-hmm. So there are, again, there are many, very many, many definitions of emotional agility. And that is great because it, it ha, it was brought to the spotlight, let's say to the mainstream a couple of years ago. And now a lot of research has been being done on it. I have to say that, uh, yeah, through my education, I was reading a little bit about it, but then what, what book or like what professor actually resonated with me, the way that she was writing was Susan David in her book, Emotional Agility. And then of course she had different podcasts with Brene Brown and she was also invited into, to the um, impact theory channel. And she was talking a lot of, about emotional um, agility and how important it is for us as, as adults right now, as we are facing also in our, not only in our private life, which is more important, but also in the organizational life. So at, at, at our job day to day, how important it is to, to develop emotional agility because it's a muscle. And even if we're not born with it, we can still master it. And, uh, when it comes to emotional agility, it has like this two, uh, two perspectives to understand ourselves, to understand what we are feeling, um, and to, to manage, you know, with the end goal of managing our emotions. And the other perspective is understanding other people's emotions, what, what they are going, uh, through with the end goal of adapting our response and action towards them. I actually also listened to um, the Susan David uh, podcast and her TED talk, of course, and I actually also really find her work very inspiring. Um, and I, I do feel that it's important to bring this conversation to uh, the organizational arena because, like we said, right? It's both of those: the cognitive and the emotional are very intertwined. It's a both of those are very human experiences and they're both helpful to us, right? It's not that you are alive in spite of having emotions. You're alive because of your emotions. They actually give you a survival advantage, right? Um, but in, I've, in the organizational space, there is consistently more room for the cognitive, right? We have like 500 different words for strategy and priorities and, you know, all of that. There's just so many... Uh, hours and you know um, discussions happening about uh, the the cognitive aspects of our work but the emotional and these are the aspects that actually influence a lot of decision making right there's been a lot of studies about how uh, when you feel a certain way you make decisions a certain way right so it's not purely cognitive but I feel like there's not enough room in the organizational space to talk about these things or air them out or just share right Yes, yes, that that is true. Um, and at the same time, the paradi paradigm is shifting, <laughs> to put mm -hmm. it like this, as 
the the organizational environment also gets more complex and more ambiguous. So we are living in the VUCA world. Uh, other skills are needed for leaders, leaders, and other type of leadership is actually needed because also um, the employees, so the people, are asked to do more complex tasks. They're also asked to be more agile in their way of working and to also to always communicate and collaborate. So suddenly the shift is is um, going from just do your job. So there you really need to, to be like very uh, to be a specialist to really understand what you are doing in your small area of let's dom- let's say domain and we're moving towards more having these fluid resources so the focus is on developing certain types of skills that can be combined in different ways in order to deliver on specific tasks or on specific projects and in this new paradigm of course the leader has to move from being a, a director of activities into being a coach, basically, to understand, okay, what is this person good at? How can I support this person to get even better? And how how can I create that safe space in which people can talk about also what are what do they want to do? What are their what is their passion in life? Where where do they want to develop? And having that emotional agility as a leader is important because you have to very quickly understand what is that person going through. Maybe it's very difficult for an employee coming from the old paradigm to say like, hey, I'm sorry, I find this task super boring. My passion actually lies with design, with creative work. I would want to develop in this in this direction. And for leaders to understand that starting that conversation may be very difficult, may be very triggering for uh, people Uh, they will manage to show up in a different way. They will manage to create that safe psychological space. They will manage to show the vulnerability needed to trigger deep discussions about what do we actually want to do when we're coming to work. Exactly. And, you know, we had another um, spotlight episode, right, before this about transformations. And the way we also design transformations now is it's it's not just to do with the roadmap of the activities that's going to take place in order to change the way we work, right, on a very, uh, on a skill level, or also on a, you know, how does the whole thing contribute to strategy and vision. But it's also very much managing that emotion, because at the end, what you see is that people people get tired people get exhausted they they need they need the emotional resonance in something as big as a transformation in uh, feeling connected to the values and the ambition of an organization so uh, even in that space even organizations going through major transformations they really have to when they're designing that roadmap they really have to also think about where is what is the emotional capacity of the people right now and where are they in that in that cycle and how can we actually yeah connect with people a lot more and bring them on board by connecting and tuning into what they're feeling in that moment so i think it's a very very relevant conversation um in the workspace as well and i'm curious how now emotional granularity comes into all of this right like what specifically do you mean and why because when we were talking about this you mentioned that emotional granularity is actually one of those 
components that we really need to get right if we want to exercise emotional agility. So can you can you speak a little bit more about it? Mm -hmm. So uh, I would see emotional granularity as being a core skill when it comes to building up emotional agility, because it's a very complex uh, capacity, let's say, uh, to have a very complex skill to have emotional agility. So when it comes to uh, emotional granularity, um, this means basically to, for us to have or to build up the ability to have those that fine grain distinction when it comes to our feeling. So, for example, when when we go through, you know, we are part of a project, for example, and it has delays. Uh, we can tell ourselves like the, the narrative that would we would tell ourselves could be that. I am stressed. This is not going how it should be. But be behind that big umbrella of stress can actually be a lot of things, can be other, uh, a lot of other feelings. And understanding what is under the umbrella of stress could also help us to customize the, the intervention, let's say, or like to choose a different path in, when it comes to deciding how do we want to act. Because when we say like, hey, I am stressed, this could mean that I am tired. This could mean that I am frustrated with one specific things. This could mean that I'm also angry when it comes to the delays. But it could also mean that I am sad because, or I feel sadness because it's not going as I want to, or I'm feeling sadness, I'm feeling disappointment because maybe I was expecting something and something did not really, that something did not really happen. So the moment that we, we break down this big feeling that, this big thing that we are happening in smaller pieces that can be digested and processed by us consciously and unconsciously, then we will be able to make smarter decisions. Then we'll be ma we, we will be able to, for example, manage our energy. We will be able to communicate in a different way with our peers and with our um, uh, with the project lead. To go to use the same example. Mm -hmm. And you know, what's really interesting about this uh, topic of the vocabulary of emotion is that apparently, right, there are over three thousand words that. Uh, describe different emotions right and i think i think i was listening to this in the Brene brown podcast where she did some um I, I don't know if it was a survey or if it was a general session where she asked the question of how many emotions people can name and it was three um <laughs> that that stuck distinction between the number of words that we can use to describe our emotions versus what we actually what is handy to us is very interesting. And I wonder where it comes from, right? Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any ideas of why we're so limited in our vocabulary when we talk about emotions? I think it's based on culture. You know, the, the more culture um, enables us to discuss about emotions, we will find many words to describe what we are feeling. You know, uh, we can use uh, like, I'm surprised, uh, but we can also use, you know, I'm amazed, I'm in awe, I'm astonished, I'm perplexed, you know, to give it more and more color. This is what I'm trying to say. And uh, it's also like, again, as we mentioned in the beginning, in the past, like in, or like, there was so much focus on developing your cognitive ability so we have a lot of words to express a lot of very uh, important interesting very smart thoughts 
And at the same time, because this emotional dimension of the human experience got got put in like in a supporting character <laughs> position, <laughs> we did not have yet maybe the interest or the, like the headspace to really invest in, okay, how many emotions I can actually word, how many emotions exist in the English vocabulary, what other uh, words in other uh, languages exist that can describe specific feelings, which in English, in the English language, or it doesn't exist, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have another theory about that. Um, so there is definitely the cultural aspect, right? The, what you surround yourself with is what you have access to in the end, right? Um, another one of my theories is, and I'm completely speculating now, so just FYI, <laughs> um, is that sometimes it's too much to feel the emotion, so you block it out, right? So you don't even want to get there. You don't even want to go to labeling it because it's like, oh my God, do I really have to go through that again? I'd rather just watch Netflix right now and just, you know, feel what Laura Lai Gilmore is feeling, which is 500 emotions at, at the speed of one minute. So uh, <laughs> FYI, reference to Gilmore Girls, if no one understood, that's also okay. But um, yeah, sometimes it's just that, you're so overwhelmed that you just you just don't want to feel anything or even if you're not overwhelmed right you just have so many ways to distract yourself from what you're feeling because honestly unless you're feeling joy or like pleasure or happiness whatever like sometimes going through emotions is completely very uncomfortable right and i guess part of, part of the human experience is to go through that discomfort because every emotion has a function it's there's a reason why it exists within you right and i love that movie uh, inside out because um it, it, in a very beautiful way it taught us that even sadness has a role to play right it tells people that hey you need you need attention you need uh, compassion at this point in time and if you don't feel that and if you don't articulate that emotion then you won't get it right and that's how that's my biggest worry of coming out of this pandemic that we have so many people who are isolating themselves from their own emotions and from each other because of that. And a lot of people are actually worried about a mental health pandemic. And um, yeah, so <laughs> see, see how what happens with emotions. I let that uh, really escalate to a mental health pandemic. Now stop me, Andrea, tell me <laughs> how we can actually exercise this ability to get more granular with our emotions. Mm -hmm. So actually, I love that you brought in the Inside Out movie, the Pixar Inside Out movie. It's I, it's one of my favorite movies, I have to say, because it explores in such a gentle way, as you mentioned, all the emotions, that all the emotions are important and they serve a role. And this is also, this is also very true because at the end, even... Even let's say anger, which we like socially, we're not really allowed to feel anger. Um, signposts something very interesting. It also energizes us. It's a very um, unpleasant sensation. And it also is overwhelming sometimes in the sense that it has dominance in our system. But what is really interesting about anger is the fact that it can... Uh, you know, make us feel defiant, it can make us feel hostile, it can make us feel enraged, impatient, or maybe jealous, you, you know, so it's like very interesting 
the moment that we feel anger to really dive into like, what is there? You know, let's be more gradular, granular in order to understand what we are going through, because then we will be more better equipped to, to decide how we want to move forward. And I chose anger because, um, you know, it's signposts that maybe, you know, we are angry, uh, we are angry because there is a potential threat that is in front of us and we are activated and we are ready to fight. But at the same time, it can also signpost the fact that maybe something is potentially blocking our goals, you know? So this means that we might be angry with a situation or we may, may feel angry with a situation with a specific decision. Maybe it was also injustice. So this is like, these are like nuances which are very interesting and very important to explore inside of us and of course with others. I love that. So your emotion is basically a gateway to the values that you might have or, you know, um, the, yeah, the values that you might hold, right? If you're feeling a sense of injustice, maybe that's signaling something to you, or it might be uh, an indication of a threat in your environment. So it is, it is advantageous exactly. to tap into. Exactly. It. And we sh if we shift the, the perspective from uh, uh, you're too emotional, like when, when you hear you're too emotional, you already like have this negative label that you put on emotions and if you just change the perspective in in the sense that hey you know emotions are as important as thoughts and they always indicate something about us maybe you know as you said something what is important to us if our values are respected or or the other way around if our values are not respected if our boundaries are respected or respected or not so if we use them as data points, you know, we can get so much information and information is power and information is powerful for us when we get information about our own bodies, our own mind. So you said a few things, right, about how we can start decoding it. And I think it comes from that, that awareness, that pause, right? I felt like implicitly in what you were saying is when you're feeling something, don't judge yourself for feeling anger, but take a moment and try to dissect where is it coming from? What's happening in my mind? What, in, what, what exactly am I feeling in that moment? What, what else? What else um, do you do as a practice that helps you gain that level of granularity and then eventually that emotional agility. Mm -hmm. So um, I love what you said about the pause. And yes, it was implicitly <laughs> uh, <laughs> referred to. So just having that pause and, and, and understanding the fact that our brain loves to predict situations in order to make us survive and it wants to predict situations as efficient as quick as possible from an energetic point of view. So we have a stimulus and then we will have a reaction. But there is, as Viktor Frankl says, between that the stimulus and reaction, there is space. And in that space, there is free will. We can choose how to react to specific situations. So when we have the stimulus and we can pause emotionally and mentally and we we dig into what are we feeling so we dig into first of course the situation you know what is the activating event what do we believe about the event and then explore with curiosity and kindness what are 
our what is our emotional uh, um, reaction to that situation and then being very granular because for example when something happens and we're feeling sad you know we we don't get a job for example we are rejected uh, um, job and we say like ah i'm i'm feeling sad because of this rejection if we dive in a little bit more we can maybe understand that maybe we can explore actually not understand we can explore the fact that we feel guilty actually that we did not um prepare a little bit better or we feel uh we feel the fact we are a little bit saddened and depressed by the situation because this means that i will not have a you know i did not get the position i will not have the money i will not get the salary that i wanted uh, and that could also leave, leave us feeling inferior or empty. And at the same time, not to always go on the dark side, also when we're feeling happiness, you know, we can, we can be very granular understanding and exploring that maybe we're feeling joy, maybe we're feeling proud, maybe we're feeling important that we actually got that specific job. And through that exploration, through emotional granularity, we can also extract the other way around our values. Maybe status, maybe having that recognition is very important for us. And if that is a value for us, that is also a motivation for us. And that can also gives, gives us information how to, how to explore more of that domain, that those things that will actually help us in getting status, maintaining status, and at the same time, you know, the tools and skills needed. Yeah, yeah, I really love that. And I guess on an individual level, right, I feel like this is where mindfulness comes in, to create that space between the stimulus and response where you can have that level of reflection and just ask yourself those questions that you just did, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like mindfulness is a practice that helps you create and maybe even broaden that space that initially you might not, right? You, there are moments where you just react to certain things. And and if you start observing the way you react and observing your own mind, you can then increase that space in between a stimulus and a response and have that reflection. Exactly. And I, I, I truly believe that having emotional granularity, so developing that developing the language that supports yourself to articulate what is going on within you and also outside of you or what is uh, or, uh, what is happening with your body with your soul with your mind that enlarges the space so much between stimulus and reaction um and it's a muscle we you know unfortunately when we are born we cannot directly download the oxford dictionary the english oxford dictionary damn it i know i wish i had that one skill you know like just <laughs> exactly <laughs> just download the features and then we you know and then it's only about oh okay you know guessing game this is this this is this Unfortunately, it doesn't work like so. And thank God, maybe it doesn't work like so, because then we have this um, opportunity in front of us to explore not only the, um, the English vocabulary, as now we're speaking in English, but also our own um, mother tongue vocabulary when it comes to those specific, um, not only emotions, but those specific words which describe uh, specific emotions, uh, which in other languages you don't have. So this is also like a very cool uh, tip and trick when it comes to developing your emotional language, being curious about other languages. So because we live in Germany, I will give the um, example of Schadenfreude. 
I was thinking about exactly the same one. Exactly. Yes. So correct me if I'm wrong, but is the envy that, no, it's the happiness that we are feeling when a friend is going, or like that sense of happiness that we are feeling when a friend is, uh, or like a person that we know is going through a bad time, or it's the joy that we get from envy. <laughs> Help me a little bit. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Pleasure uh, derived from someone else's misfortune. Ah, okay, thank you. Yes, Very yes. beautifully said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Schadenfreude. And then I was also like looking in the Romanian language and we have something like Amarachune, which is, mm-hmm. uh, which is more of a negative emotion. Um, and it's a link between, you know, being angry and sad and bitter at the same time and having a lot of melancholy, but you're still energized to do something. And uh, it's also linked to the bitter taste that you have, uh, you know, when you eat something bitter, basically. Right. <laughs> so it's this, this, this uh, very interesting, complex emotion that is like super fascinating yeah. for me. And I did not really manage to find it in the English or in the German vocabulary. I guess that also <laughs> in your language, you have also specific words. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't dig into it, but um, I, I will come back to you on that. I think there are possibly many different words exactly. that uh, in Hindi that are not there in English. And I, I'm also thinking, right, you, you shouldn't also have to limit yourself to finding the right word because then you can go down the road of emotional perfectionism where you're really trying to define exactly what you're feeling with the right word but you could exactly do what you did right now which is explain what it feels like you're feeling a bit bitter and resentful and angry and melancholic all at the same time but it's giving you energy and that still helps right even if you don't have the perfect word for it exactly and it's about progress over perfection so maybe the world will, word would not appear directly in our mind, but as you said, if we describe it, we describe the physiological sensation, we describe what what it does it feel like, where does it feel like, what does does it trigger in us, in which situation it appears, then maybe you know at this co-creation, at the end of this co-creation process, as we also share it with other people. You know, who knows? Maybe we'll be lucky and we'll, you, um, you know, have a new word in the English dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> we'll innovate a little bit this emotional dimension of the English dictionary. Yes, but exactly, right? The point is not to come out with the perfect word, right? I, I guess it is if you are a writer and you want to just get that perfect emotion out there for your reader to experience and feel while they're reading. But for you as an individual, the point is to um is to is to make sense of it and and just come to terms with it and feel the emotion most um, most importantly right it's uh, not to block it off or uh, suppress it but to actually go through it and i i love this book a burnout by emily and amelia nagoski where they talk about stress and they talk about getting stuck uh in the stress response cycle right when you don't go through the cycle and uh particularly interesting f- for me in that book was um the topic of emotional exhaustion, that when you're looking at burnout, emotional exhaustion is actually one of the biggest contributing factors uh, for burnout. And that happens when you get stuck in an emotion, right? You don't allow yourself to go through that emotion, right? But in order to go through that emotion, you also need to go to that emotion, which is what you're saying is that you need to be able to label it and identify it 
so that you can actually go through that emotion, go through the cycle and come out the other end as a more aware, healthy person able to move exactly, on. Exactly, exactly. And um, there's so much research showing the fact that if we keep things in and we, as you said, if we get stuck in specific emotions, uh, then this is very unhealthy for our body because the cortisol level goes up, stress is always felt. We don't have, we don't have the energy to recharge basically. So to create that space where we can recharge, we can build up our resilience um, and yeah, this is why it's the first, I would say the first step would be to, to name, you know, name what is going on, articulate what is going on. It doesn't need to be perfect. There are so many tools online that can help you with this. And like my favorite is the, the feeling wheel where they like put all the emotions there and you have like this very beautiful separation of what if you're if you feel anger what does this mean if you feel fear what does this mean if you feel surprised what does this mean you know and every day just having that exercise of curiosity okay i feel tired today but am i what what else am i feeling you know having that very honest conversation with yourself and honest and curious conversation with yourself like hey brain or hey body how are we feeling today checking in with yourself right and andrea i actually have one final question for you but i want to check do we have the time for it yes okay brilliant um so you already talked about feelings wheel and that's a practical i guess takeaway uh here but i wanted to explore anything else that you're doing especially since we discussed how important this conversation is is in the organizational space what can people do? What can teams do um, or organizations do to really practically have this discussion or, or maybe not even have this discussion to actually feel the emotions that they need to feel in a given situation, get through it and <laughs> make the decisions that they need to make without getting stuck in it, without suppressing those emotions and really exercising emotional agility mm -hmm. in the organizational space. Well, as any kind of skill, like any kind of muscle, even emotional agility through its different sub-skills, it has to be trained. So this means putting together specific rituals or specific traditions when it comes to the team meetings, regardless if it's like only member meeting or it's like leadership team meetings, just having that ritual of... You know, checking in before uh, in the beginning of the meeting. You know, how is everybody feeling? What what are we bringing inside of the and the space between us? You know, what is happening within us that is important to be articulated so that people will understand. So creating that psychological safe environment where me as a person I can offer you data points about how am I feeling when it comes to my body, how am I feeling when it comes to emotions, maybe what are the situations which will impact the way that I show up today. And again, the moment that you offer per people data points, you know, you already empower them to, to, to really understand what is going on and to also decide, okay, how can I best support my colleagues in this situation? How can I best show up in this meeting so we can reach our goal despite of x y and z and also you know as our brain loves conclusions it's not only about checking in but it's also about checking out 
you know, how are we living uh, after this meeting? How do we feel about this? Did we reach our goal? Did we did not reach our goal? You know, what is happening there? So you can also so also create that space at the end to just see if <clears throat> everybody is okay. <clears throat> um, how did they feel about the meeting and so on and so forth. And it's not a one-time shot, you know. We do it once and we're perfectly, everybody's like a line and we are emotionally agile. It's having that constant exercise of doing this and you know you'll get there when you start a meeting and if you, because of different reasons, you skip over the check-in or the check-out, you'll feel like something is missing. Like, hey, we are not complete. We, we need that something is missing here. So we have to do this. <laughs> so when it becomes natural for us to listen to how other people are doing and to share our inner life, then we will, uh, then we can say like, hey, we do have this uh, emotional agility muscle exercise on a daily basis. Brilliant. Amazing. Thank you, Andrea. I know we can probably go on for another 45 minutes talking about this, but <laughs> I, I really appreciate this first conversation about emotional agility. And um, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you also. It was a pleasure.